Let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and today's devotional study is entitled, Lessons from Job, Multitude of Words. Please be sure to visit our podcast page, biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our Bible study resources, our previous episodes, and much, much more. Our verse for this study is found in Proverbs 10, verse 19. And it says, in the King James, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Proverbs 10, 19. Before we get into this study, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you for the book of Job in particular, and we invite your presence to be with us as we study together. Give us wisdom and understanding, and may we rightly divide your words of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. More lessons from the book of Job. We've done a number of lessons from the book of Job, which is not surprising because there are 42 chapters in this book. Um, But we're not going through each of them one by one. We're leaping over to Job chapter 32. And in Job chapter 32, which is 22 verses, we find an interesting scenario. Up until now, much of the book of Job is essentially Job and his three friends. And now we're going to get a fourth person in the mix here. There's a fourth person in the mix. Uh, when, when all is said and done, the primary people in the book of Job, let's see, in order of them showing up, the primary people in the book of Job are Job, God, Satan, I guess Job's wife, Job's three friends, and this fourth friend, right, in order of how they're introduced. The wife doesn't play a primary, primary role, but she's kind of important to the storyline. So here we are at the beginning of Job, Job 32. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled, because they had found no answer, and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited until Job had spoken, because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young, and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid, and durst not show you mine opinion. I said, Days should speak, 
and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, hearken to me, and I also will show mine opinion. Okay, pause a second here. He goes on to this, on in this path for a while, and um, you should read the rest of what he says here in the in the verse. But he's this is his introduction, and he's going to emphasize that he waited, he listened to this discourse back and forth, he waited to see if anyone else is going to continue, and everyone stopped. Then he expressed his frustration, and his frustration comes in two parts. One. He's mad at Job. He's eh, mad at. He has some anger toward Job, right? His wrath was kindled against Job because he feels that Job justified himself rather than God. And he has some anger toward the friends because they didn't, they could not answer what Job was saying, yet they persisted and condemned him, right? Look at verse three. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer yet had condemned Job. Now, we're going to go over these first few verses slowly, and we're going to tie it back to Proverbs 10.19. Remember, Proverbs 10.19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. So these three men ceased to answer Job, this is Job 32 verse 1, because he was righteous in his own eyes. We should not read that verse as the conclusion of the author of the verse, but as a an indication of how the men thought. They stopped answering him because they felt that he was righteous in his own eyes. It was a lost cause, so they just gave up. And then Elihu, who decides he's going to speak for God, he says so in this verse and in a couple of the verses. He speaks, and he's not happy with Job because he feels that Job justified himself rather than God. And he's not happy with the three friends because they could not answer the arguments Job presented, but they persisted in condemning Job. Now, the reason I bring this up is early in the book of Job, as we studied in one of our earlier lessons, we're told that Job said a number of things. And in all this, the Bible tells us, he sinned not with his mouth. However, when we get over to... To chapter 38, the Lord is going to speak. And it's interesting because the Lord speaks right behind Elihu, but he never mentions Elihu, never says anything about Elihu, but he speaks right behind Elihu. And when the Lord speaks, he's going to say, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Okay. So if we take what was said early and we take, and we add it to what is said now, when the Lord confronts Job, he indicates that Job is darkening counsel by words without knowledge. Here. But in the beginning, the record shows that nothing Job had said up to a certain point was sin. So the conclusion then is that at some point in this discourse, Job probably said more than he needed to say. As we've been studying this, and I brought it out in one of the earlier in one of the earlier lessons on Job, but I think it bears intense focus now. The reason that Job ultimately gets himself in trouble, and this is something we have to be very careful with, 
We can be well-meaning, we can have the best of intention, but the more we defend ourselves, the more our response can appear self-centered. The more his friends probed him and poked at him and insulted him and condemned him, the more his defense sounded like a defense of himself versus God. And that was not Job's intent. And we can see that when God confronts Job and asks him the questions that God asks him, and we'll do a study on that separately because there's some powerful lessons in there too. But when God confronts him and asks him those questions, Job immediately recognizes his error, immediately recognizes his error and surrenders himself. He does not oppose the Lord. He does not vaunt himself up against God. Because that was never his purpose. That was never his focus. The issue is, in defending himself vehemently, he ended up sounding as though he were defending his own righteousness. And in all likelihood, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. There's a chance that we will either uh, mislead ourselves go down around a wrong path, set a wrong focus, when we focus on defending our own position rather than letting God vindicate us. Because you can see that God does come and vindicate Job. And you'll see that more clearly when we do that particular study. But here, Elihu rebukes them. One, because Job is sounding very defensive at that point, and... Um, and his emphasis is on the fact that he's not wrong, which was true. It wasn't that it wasn't true, but that emphasis is not one that we should, we should get. And it seems weird because it always seems like we should defend ourselves. And there's an appropriate way to defend ourselves. There is. And there's an appropriate length of time to do it. But we should let God vindicate us. Right? We should let God vindicate us. And God teaches us in his word, how vindication works. Daniel, look at the story of Daniel. That's, that's a really good story, especially Daniel chapter 6. So in Daniel chapter 6, the folks that, that are going to be reporting to Daniel, because Darius is thinking, hey, this guy is honorable, he's honest, he's diligent, he's smart. If I have everybody reporting to him, there's going to be no trickery, no nothing. I can trust him. I can connect with him. If I say things to him, they're not going to go anywhere. This guy is, has tremendous integrity and everything, and he gives good counsel. But he can make sure that the rest of these people are, are doing what needs to be done, and I can ensure that the report I get from him is legitimate because he's just an upstanding guy. So as the king is deciding to do this, is contemplating that, the rest of the guys are like, hey, nah, this is too much. It's bad enough we got to share... Um, we have to share the limelight with this guy, but there's no way we can't get him to cooperate with us in our, in our trickery because he's not, he's above board. He's not going to want to go for any of that, which means we'll have to be above board, which is not good. So they decided to collaborate, right? There was a conspiracy and collusion and they gathered together to plot his demise. Now, for the first thing they did is the first thing they would do for any other person. 
I know that guy's been cheating somewhere. Let's find it so we can call him out on it and either blackmail him or just rat him out. And they checked and lo and behold, nothing. They're like, what? We've checked everything and this guy doesn't do anything wrong at all. Nothing shifty, nothing shady, nothing. The only way we're going to get him is to pit him against his God. So we just need to set up things where the king's word and his God's commands are opposite. And then we've got him because you'll obey his God's commands rather than the king's. Okay. Now, Daniel understands all of this. When they set that rule in motion, we don't know if he knew the plot before it came to fruition. But once he knew what the king had agreed to do, he didn't go and defend himself. He didn't say to the king, hey, you know that I've always been this in the, in the kingdom and, and you know that I look out for you and this and that and the other, but I just can't do this because of the church thing, because of my, my religion, because of whatever, because of my conscience. He didn't say any of those things. He didn't defend himself. He just went home and did exactly as he used to do. And the first defense we hear Daniel making is after the fact. After the fact. So when they put him in the lion's den and in the morning the king comes out because he's perturbed and he says, Daniel, was your God whom you serve continually able to deliver you? And he says, my God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth that they might not harm me because he knew I was innocent, <laughs> right? It's the first time that he expresses the innocence. Um, so we have to, these are lessons that are important to learn. It's true we don't want people walking all over us. It's true that, um, that we, there's a place and a time to stand up for oneself. But we still have to do it as God's people. We really have to get it through our minds that we are different and that we need to be different. We're not just like everybody else. We can't be like just like everybody else. We can't be just like everybody else. Christ's kingdom is not of this world, and if we are part of his kingdom, we are not of this world. We're just here. We're passing through it. We started here, but this is not our final home. This is not our, well, in its current condition, because the earth is what we're going to inherit, but we're going to inherit a new earth. And new because it'll be refurbished. It's going to be the same, otherwise the same planet, but it's going to be refurbished. Probably be the only thing refurbished that'll be worth getting. But all that to say, we have to be careful how much time we spend in our own defense. Because it is pretty clear that to many people, Job's vigorous defense of himself ultimately looked like self-justification. And the thing that saves Job is, A, that was not his intent. And so when B, when the Lord comes and confronts him, he responds to God in harmony with his true feelings, his true heart. So we have to be careful what kinds of arguments we get into. We have to be careful what kinds of situations we we uh, enter into. And in some cases, we're not going to have a choice. Things will come upon us or come to us. 
we're not going to have a choice, right? Job's three friends came to him when he was in a particular state and they essentially ambushed him. So you're not always going to have a choice, but we have to be cognizant at all times that some arguments are not profitable. Paul talks a lot about unprofitable arguments and avoiding them. Some arguments are not profitable. And once we have asserted our fidelity to God, because that's the best way to look at it, not so much innocence or guilt, but our fidelity to God. Once we've asserted our fidelity to God, then we just have to leave it. People are going to have to believe what they want to believe, and they're just going to have to go on. But in, in defending himself as vigorously as he did, we see an opportunity for Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite of the kindred of Ram, to have his wrath kindled against him because he certainly appeared to justify himself rather than God. He also had wrath against the, the three young men. Or I shouldn't say young men, they were older than him, the three other friends, because they had no answer. They could not refute or rebut the statements Job was making, yet they persisted in condemning him. Elihu is a mysterious guy. He's a mysterious character. He shows up here. We didn't even know he was sitting here until <laughs> all of a sudden verse 2 tells us about him. He's sitting here, and there are probably others that are sitting there. I don't think it was just Job and three friends. But he's sitting here, and he goes through this entire exercise with them. And he speaks to them for a number of chapters until God steps in. And God never says anything about Elihu. It's really hard to understand how we're supposed to look at him. But the point he makes, and the lesson that I have pulled out of this or the lesson that has been shown to me, is he has a point, right? God doesn't rebuke him, so nothing he said was wrong, whereas God rebukes the three friends. But God never rebukes him, Elihu. Elihu is, is definitively speaking on behalf of the Lord. That's what he says, okay? Definitively speaking on behalf of the Lord. Right In Job 36, verse 1, Elihu, it says, Elihu also proceeded, because he talks for a while, and said, Suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar, and will ascribe righteousness to my Maker. He speaks on behalf of the Lord about all of this that's going on. And he emphasizes that the way that, that this discussion back and forth was handled was not good. He talks about God's majesty. He speaks about God showing up and, he, and about this cloud. And then in verse 38, <laughs> in verse 38, it just says, and the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Okay. Because it's interesting that in verse, in chapter 37, it doesn't end by saying that Elihu stopped. But chapter 38 says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. We have to be careful that we don't say more than we need to, that we don't talk too much, whether in our own defense or, or something else. Job's friends clearly spoke too much because they presented their view and they, 
and they not satisfied when Job would not accept it, and they rode him into the dirt. I mean, for many, many chapters, all the way up to chapter the end of chapter 31, it's them versus Job, right? And remember, one of them is speaking, Job starts in verse 3, in chapter 3, keep saying verse when I mean chapter, Job starts in chapter 3, and he speaks sometimes for one chapter, sometimes for two, then one of them will speak. Then Job will answer him. Then the second one will speak. Then Job will answer him. Then the third one will speak. Then Job will answer him. Then the first one will speak. And that's how they went, round robin, all the way through till we get to chapter 31, where Job ends it. And they don't say anything because they're like, well, this is pointless. And Elihu waits. Job is finished. And they're not saying anything. So now Elihu pops up and decides he's going to speak on behalf of the Lord because he's upset that Job's focus was on himself and um, and that they kept trying to condemn Job. And the Lord is going to come and speak on his own behalf, which is powerful. But nothing is said negative about Elihu. So that means that when you study the book of Job, you should look carefully at the things that Elihu said because God never contradicts any of those things. The second thing we should understand is that even when we are in the right, if we spend a lot of time trying to defend ourselves, we might talk ourselves into trouble, right? That which is what Proverbs ten nineteen is is focused on. The more words we speak, the more likely that we'll enter into sin. And the third issue is this. When we, when we come at people, when we see a situation and we decide that we're going to dispense with some wisdom, et cetera, and so on, if someone rebuts your statement, let it go. Too often we want to have the last word. And so things that could have ended after one or two rounds, I said something, you said something back, I said something to clarify, you said something back, but I can't let it go. So I say something, you're not going to let it go. So you say something back. And very soon, we have a multitude of words and possibly both of us are, are busy sinning our souls. There's a time to speak. There's a time to be silent, but there's a time to speak. But when you have spoken and people decide they don't want to hear, we need to be willing to back off unless we have absolutely good reason from the word of God that we need to forge ahead and finish saying whatever it was that God gave us to say. But a lot of times we're quick to conclude that that's exactly what has to happen. And that's not how God has set it up. Right? Even Jesus said to his disciples, I have many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. We have to know when to let it go. When to reduce the amount that's being said. Because what we do not want is to have the Lord answer us out of the whirlwind and say, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Proverbs 10.19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. Right? That could be translated as lacketh not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. Let's be wise and how much we speak and when. Let's exercise wisdom, not just knowledge. Let's close with a word of prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the many, many, many lessons in this book of wisdom, which is Job. We pray, Lord, that as we study this book, that we will see the truth of your principles and that we will apply ourselves to them. We ask for the forgiveness of sins. We ask you to give us a discerning heart, a heart full of discretion and self-control that we'll know when to hold our tongues. Bless us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Remember, you can find Rightly Divide the Word of Truth on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you normally obtain your podcasts. Please feel free to contact us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. Whether you have questions, comments, or concerns, we look forward to hearing from you. If you're finding this channel to be a blessing, please take the time to share our page with others and always keep our ministry in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study His Word.